steal, and Puss with the chain. And St. John's takes down number three, Villanova. A signature win for Mike Anderson. Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello, and I am your host, bringing you up to date and up to speed on all things St. John's basketball. And I've got a very special show coming. It is our season recap, our season review, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm going to be joined in a second by Kevin Kevin Connolly and Brendan Myers, two friends of the program, two guys who have come on plenty of times over the year. We're going to talk about everything that there is to talk about about this 2021-2022 season, this disappointing season. We're going to talk about where it went wrong. More importantly, we're going to talk about uh, where it can improve going into next season. We're going to talk about Mike Anderson, his job security going into next season. Uh, we're going to talk about it all. So I hope you guys enjoy that. This is going to be part one of my uh, season recap or off-season preview series, whatever you want to call it, next week or maybe in a couple, in two weeks, but certainly in the near future, I'm going to have Zach Braziller on as well, and we're going to do a deep dive into the off-season, talking about you know any movement that happens with St. John's, talking about that. So this week it's going to be Brendan and Kevin, and then hopefully next week we're going to have uh, Zach Braziller on. But I hope you guys enjoy this season recap with Brendan Myers and Kevin Connolly. All right, I now want to welcome on two very big friends of the program here, two of my favorite guests, Brendan Myers, Kevin Connolly. Boys, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. Outstanding. Ready to talk some Johnny's ball. It's been, <laughs> what's it been, two and a half weeks? A couple right? weeks, yeah, since our last it's game. Two weeks, yeah. Two and a half weeks since it's been over. Yeah. Uh, and, and the highly anticipated NIT selection show. <laughs> Yeah, not not the best uh, not the best ending to the season, but I'm I'm doing I'm doing great. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been a nice two weeks off, right? Yeah. <laughs> Brendan, how are you doing? I'm also doing great. Excited to be here. We had a ton of fun doing this last year. Kevin was just joking before we started recording that last year had a much more positive tone heading into that that postseason <laughs> wrap up pod. We'll see where it goes tonight, but uh, probably won't be as positive. I don't think that we're going to be as positive tonight. So let's let's start with that. I guess we'll start with the the negativity of the season. I think you know anyone who watched this season objectively would admit it was a very disappointing year. Uh, fell way short of expectations of course uh kev i'll start with you man like if you had to pick one guy to blame one person to blame just one thing or you know what, what's the reason why this season fell so short of expectations i mean for like i know everyone everyone's looking for that scapegoat like who to blame and everyone uh like at least the fans are kind of splitting it but or mostly splitting it between uh mike anderson and mike craig obviously with anderson getting most of the blame but um, I guess that's where you have to go. I mean, it's 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 the coaching staff. It's the coaches. I mean, uh, you heard for a lot of the season that it was nine new players coming to a roster and uh, you wish they would be able to gel quicker. I mean, ultimately, that comes down to the coaches to make them gel quicker. Like, that's not really the players' fault. Um, and then you, you look at the schedule, like, were they really tested in the non-conference play? Mm-hmm. I mean, no. They were only only had two games against like really quality opponents. Now looking back on it, they played a Sweet Sixteen team mm-hmm. in the non-conference, or two Sweet Sixteen teams in the non-conference. Yeah, St. Peter's in Kansas. Yeah, who, who would have thought about that? But um, no, I mean, like 
and we'll probably get into this later on. But I, so my answer is, is the coaching staff who, who probably should get most of the blame for, for this disappointing season. But like there were some in hindsight, like good non-conference games that people don't want to give credit for. Like, like St. Peter's even like that was a good non-conference game. Uh, Monmouth Colgate. Um, those are like good mid-majors to play. Mm-hmm. But like then when you, when you throw in like your NJITs and your Mississippi Valley States, although I love the Delta Devils, they're, they're, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not certainly someone that in this area is going to ride home about playing them in your non-conference schedule. And when they did play those teams, like they didn't blow them out of the water. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did blow Mississippi State up, but they didn't blow any of the other guys out of the water. So mm-hmm. um, I think I don't think the coaches, the coaching staff, had the team um, prepared going into Big East play in terms of the competition they were going to face, and then I don't think like the right um, adjustments were were made in game and throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Brendan. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in complete agreement there with Kevin, especially when you're talking about a college team. You know, you're talking about a, a fairly young, not super young, fairly young team, uh, guys transitioning to, to Power 5 basketball. So you're, I'm always going to tend to put a little bit more blame on the coaching staff because it's, it's their responsibility. And, you know, Kevin and I, we're, we're older than them now, so we can say that they're kids. He's got to make sure, you know, they're kids, so they're going to make mistakes. And to me, it's on the coaching staff, especially, you know, we'll get into, you know, some of the blown leads and stuff like that to me it's on the coaching staff to make sure the players know know what to do and how to execute now there's a couple things you could point to that 67 percent from the free throw line throughout the whole season tough to pin that one on the coaching staff per se that you know you could say the free throw is definitely something on on the players to execute but overall i think one of the things I'm, i'm not entirely sure even after that big east tournament loss against villanova I'm still not sure Anderson knew who his best five to close a, a game were. And I think that was a big thing. It goes back to, to what Kevin said, that when you're not exactly tested in the non-conference, you know, they had the close game against against Indiana on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you're playing the mid-majors at home, it's a comfortable environment. They were really only forced out of their comfort zone in the non-conference once or twice. You know, they, they played St. Francis close at home, obviously. <laughs> but w- were they ever really pushed out of their comfort zone? Probably not. And I think that's what uh, non-conference play should be for. So that way, in Big East play, when you're coming down to these rock fights, as they are, it's a cliche, but that's what they are. You, you need to be prepared. So I'm definitely in lockstep with Kevin there that that I'm putting you know most of the blame on the coaching staff because there uh, there was just a I would say inability. They just never really looked prepared for Big East play. We'll say. Mm-hmm. Do you even, got even Scott. Fordham? Even Fordham was like it's like a good non-conference game you know yeah yeah like mm-hmm. like that's like it's a new york city rivalry like try to build up that rivalry again like you kind of already lost it with syracuse mm-hmm. but like i thought for like fordham was a good non-conference game but like like yeah like the mississippi valley states the fairly dickinson's the st francis brooklyn and the njits like that, that that has to be a little better what did we do you guys think because I, I i personally think that we did do you think that we overrated the talent level of this team going into the season from really the guys that we brought in because I think we knew Julian we knew Posh we knew Wusu what they were going to be like and you know we can get into those guys in a second but you know the quality of the transfers do you guys think that we kind of overrated maybe what this team was I I don't I'm not necessarily convinced that we overrated the talent I am I think we overrated how 
the cohesiveness of the roster. I, Troy, we talked about it, I know, on one of the episodes I was on, that the roster wasn't necessarily complementary. They didn't have guys yeah. that complemented each other's skill set. They have a lot of a lot of guards that like to slash and get to the rim, but not a lot of guards that like to shoot. Uh, Champagne and Wheeler kind of like to occupy the same spaces on the floor. I think that was part of the reason we never really saw them click together in the same game, you know, excluding one or two uh, blips here and there. But I, I just think that it, it wasn't – it was a talented roster but a flawed roster at that. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Kev. Yeah, I, th- I think we did too because, like, if, if, if you look at the transfers now in hindsight, like, I was always huge on uh, Steph Smith. I thought Steph Smith was going to be great. Mm-hmm. And, like, you only saw it in flashes. Now, was it because he was underutilized? Was it because, I mean – just some matchups are bad. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then you look at you look at a player like Soriano, and like, all right, now looking back on it, like Soriano really only had played like one college season before this, like his freshman year at Fordham, and like, okay, is, he, he was a freshman in the A10 because then like his COVID year, he he was hurt and it, it was a limited amount of games, and then he comes here and I mean against a non-conference, he, he looked he looked good, like he looked besides against the two games against Indiana and. Kansas. I mean, he looked good, but then he like to begin Big East play. He was kind of like a deer in headlights, mm-hmm. and he got better. But like, I don't know if we overrated the the transfers coming in, but I definitely thought a lot of people thought they were going to be better than they were in yeah. terms of the fit for the for the system. Like, was Tariq Coburn a fit for this system? Like, I don't know because he didn't make. 40% from three. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, th- then he would have, like, defensively, he wasn't part of the system. Like, he wasn't really a ball handler. Mm-hmm. You needed him to stand in the corner or come off screens and shoot 40, 45% from three. And it really didn't materialize itself um, that consistently. Mm-hmm. And even talking about, you know, aside from that, if, if you want to blame the coaches, you can blame them for that as well. I would say for not, you know, recruiting and bringing in the right transfers that fit in this system and uh brennan i know you and i talked about this a couple times as well you know the the rotations just never seemed like they were you know correct like they were on point it never seemed like guys were getting in rhythms either you know we talk about coburn you know he was a, a great example of that how many times do we see a guy hit two or three shots and then come and sit on the bench for five minutes i just think even you know with that you can pin it on the coaches as well yeah it was bizarre i mean the one Troy the six out in, in my head was Omar Stanley in the home game against Creighton. Uh, I mean, that was that was by yeah. far his best game of the season. Yep. He, Steph I, in that game, too. Yeah, I mean, with, with Omar, dominate is probably a bit strong. I wouldn't say he dominated that, but definitely his, his best showing, he was getting to the rim, getting some easy easy looks, and, and he was a guy that brought a lot of energy when he was out on the floor, didn't always play perfect, definitely mm-hmm. has a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. But And then all of a sudden, you know, you'd get to a media timeout, you wouldn't see him again for another 10 minutes game time. And, and that's just what, what was bizarre to me. It seemed that the, the coaching staff did not value, uh, like, the, the classic rhythm or, or he's hot or, or anything like that, mm-hmm. which was a, a little bizarre to me. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about Anderson a little bit more. You know, it was obviously a very disappointing year three for him after two great years, I would say. In year one and year two, I would say the team was playing its best basketball towards the end of the year they got better as the season went on uh this season was almost the, the opposite of that i think that they were really the same team that they were in in march as they were in february or in uh, november i should say uh how do you guys kind of rate anderson's performance and you know was was there any thought in your mind of moving on from him this year at all 
No, no, there was there was no chance. I know that's what everybody wanted, but th- there was no chance. I mean, that thought the thought never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I knew it wasn't going to happen from talking people with around the program. Like it just it was his third year. Um, he still. I mean, I don't want to give this excuse for him, but like he still really hasn't had a, a full season. Like his first season gets cut short because of COVID. Uh, his second season is, is stop and start. All these protocols. Oh, Kevin, you're going to get the people mad. Mm. You're get the <laughs> people mad. I'm curious where you're going with this. Yeah, I, I don't want to give. And like this season, you, you still had that pause, but towards the back end, like it was relatively normal. Um, I think th- there's a lot of pressure on everybody: players, coaches, support staff, assistant coaches, all the way up to the top. Here, going into this fourth season, um, everybody underachieved this year. That's like. But um, I don't want. I, I didn't want to give the excuse. I, I just had to throw it out there. But um, no, there was no chance they were moving on after this year. Um, I know everyone was really hoping that he was taking that Tulsa job. But and again, in theory, that was still never a reality. Just because I mean, he really had to. He really had to hate living in New York yeah. to go back home to Tulsa because the pay cut he would have taken to, for that job, um, I would have said probably over fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, so I think it's important to, to kind of put this in, in perspective because and I know I brought this up with you guys before. So there's two there's two ends of the spectrum, right? You have Kevin Willard who took, what, five or six years to finally uh, get Seton Hall into a solid state, and it was because of the, the class with Whitehead, mm-hmm. Carrington, Desi Rodriguez, and, and Angel Delgado. That was the class that kind of put Seton Hall on the trajectory of where it was. And then you look at what Shaka Smart did with Marquette in year one, completely flipped that yeah. roster over. Uh, I don't know the exact number of new players they have, but then all of a sudden Justin Lewis becomes this all Big East caliber player when he really wasn't even playing that much last year. Um, so I think people see more of the Shaka Smart timetables of, all right, look at what this guy did in the season, whereas with with Willard it took a little bit longer and I think with Anderson you're going to kind of see uh, something somewhere in the middle, which I know is kind of me sitting on the, on the fence a little bit, but I don't think that you can continue to hit the reset button on a program after and albeit a major disappointment this year that this team really didn't even come close to the tournament contention, the way the Big East tournament, all that stuff is, is definitely true and it's not going over my head, I'm not defending what happened this year, but especially what we saw after you know when Lavin left and that that Mullen first year mm-hmm. and like these things take time and if you're not finding the right impact transfers which they haven't you know it, it's tough but but it is it is a process trust the process is so overused in sports which has made it unfortunate but you look at Anderson he did have the two recruits coming in for next year to point to point at and say look at these two two really good recruits we have coming in next year and you know maybe I'd feel differently if you didn't have that yeah if the recruiting was starting to dry up but I think the message that he's trying to 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 um instill in all of his players is coming through the weird part to me is and I don't know if you guys want to touch on this at all is we we are three years in now and we still really haven't seen the dominant 40 minutes of hell press or do you guys agree with that? Am I missing something? I, I think we saw it in year one, yeah. and I think that's, yeah. But it, see, it, it's tough because like you, you throw Nick Rutherford out there, and like okay, that's was, my guy. That's he, my guy. He was perfect to run that forty minutes of hell press, but like you tell me, Posh Alexander isn't like mm-hmm. I I, I, exactly, I feel like yeah. we've seen it in spurts. We just haven't seen it 
we just haven't seen it like we haven't seen it for two straight weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we, and and also I think a, a factor of that is like coaches now know what's coming at them. Like th- that those first two years ish, like no one really knew what what they what was coming at them. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think probably the second thing that or the 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 example that really shows that is the first game against the first and only game against UConn last year. Like UConn really didn't know what was coming at them because mm-hmm. they never faced this pressure before. And St. John's wins that game late because they kind of wore them down. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you, you kind of saw it in, in that first year under Anderson. Um, you saw it a little bit in that second year, but this year you, you really didn't see it much, much, much at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I just I, I look at Anderson. And I look at the the future with him, and if there's if we see next season as a season like this season where it's you know an eighth place finish in the conference let's say uh you know you win 17 games or something like that i just think that the the cries from the fan base to move on from him at that point are going to be so overwhelming that it's not i do think it's more justified at that yes and more justified Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be because i think right now it's a vocal minority i don't think that the majority of the fan base wants him out but i think next year you're going to see a majority of the fan base wanting to move on from him and frankly the way that i look at this roster going into next season uh, i personally think that they're going to be headed towards a 17 win season and an eighth place finish in the conference that's just my take on i know it's hard to predict what you know a year in advance but you know that's kind of where i'm looking at it where i'm not too bullish on the future and you know i, I don't know if you would have moved on from him this year but i'm just looking at next year and i'm kind of thinking we, we might be talking about a new coach next year but i i know the sport has become so centered around the transfer portal and everything but like if you really look at it, like this staff has done a really good job with its high school players. Like they haven't really missed Better than, on, yeah. mm-hmm. on, on high school players. And what what transfers have they really hit on besides <laughs> Wheeler now? Mm-hmm. Besides Wheeler, like who have they really hit on in the transfer portal that you're like, wow, that was a great player. He did really great things here. Mm-hmm. Like it's really been the high school players that they've done a great job recruiting. And it's been the transfer players outside of Wheeler who have been like Eh, all right, they've they've shown some flashes. Now I think Soriano still has a lot of years left. Like again, in terms of his eligibility, he's really young, and I think he can be good. Um, so maybe he'll be another exception. But I mean, if if this roster and this coaching staff is going to be really centered around the portal, like they got to start picking out some <laughs> some better guys in, in the portal to bring to bring on the on the team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting philosophy there with the portal because you see. The, this particular staff, whereas Mullen and because they that staff also did a lot of work. They they looked at guys coming down from from other Power Five schools. You just uh, Justin Simon and Marvin mm-hmm. Clark are obviously the two that jump off. This staff seems to be, you know, particularly with the MAC conference, they seem to be looking to guys looking to to step up and play. And there there's been a huge transition. Like you, Kevin mentioned, Steph Smith before. You're talking about a guy who's I, I think top ten all time in Vermont's three point shooting mm-hmm. percentage. And he comes here and shoots 27%. There was a huge adjustment. And and I think that's what's on, on the coaching staff to 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 do a better job of having those guys adjust and, and cater to the skill set. 
And the thing is, is the St. John's team this year, they played fast, but like Kevin was saying, it didn't always make opponents uncomfortable. Like you're talking about DePaul, the DePaul game on the road, right, mm-hmm. where, where DePaul nearly put up 100 on them. DePaul did not look uncomfortable for one second in that game. They're like, all right, you guys want to want to run up and down for these 40 minutes when we get layups on the other end? That's completely fine with us. The, the playing so fast and making it chaotic only works when there's deflections, guys in passing lanes, when uh, you have to retreat. Javon Freeman Liberty was just going right in right in for layups. Uh, I mean, that that's the stuff that has to be ironed out with Anderson. Because he's not a he's not a new coach. This isn't a new system. This has been this has been done for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think you can make an argument that they could use some some better athletes on the wing. Because to me, that's the key to a press is having guys that can switch on and off. And I don't necessarily think that this team had that. But I, I, they have to do a better job of, of implementing that game plan of the forty minutes of hell and being a, a much better defensive team that makes it so chaotic for other teams. Because it was they were just track beats this year and then the opponents weren't uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but sometimes they played too fast for their own good i mean how many times three on ones four on twos did they either miss a layup or the ball ends up in the first row somewhere yeah <laughs> like they, they, they offensively like they, they want to be there they, you get that turnover and you want to beat everybody down the floor or you get that yeah. missed shot with a long rebound they you secure and you throw it up the floor and then you have a two-on-one and you end up getting nothing. Mm. Like, I feel like that happened way yeah. too much. And sometimes they even try to be too fancy for their own good. I feel like that happened Kev- way too often. Kevin, that's that's part of a, a bigger thing. The, the layups and the struggles down yeah. with easy layups was an extremely bizarre problem and, that and never what, went away. Yeah. What you mm-hmm. what you said about free throws, I can't pin that on the coaches. I mean, yeah. do, do you want them to go like and it wasn't even all the time fast breaks. It was, sometimes it was just in a half court set like they'd run something and, or, yeah. and get a layup or they'd get a missed shot and an offensive rebound and they'd just miss it. Like I, yeah. I can't I can't blame the coaches on that. Mm-hmm. Like they, mm-hmm. they drew up the like even the I mean, I know we'll get into to the, the game against Villanova. Exactly. Uh, the, yep. That last game of the season, yeah. but like that last play was when uh, Champagny missed the three. I don't know if it was partially tipped or he just airballed it. Like that was Anderson's best play of the season. <laughs> yeah, and like they just yeah. didn't execute. Like I don't know. I, obviously, he was saving that play for that specific moment, but that was his best drawn yeah. up play of the year. He got his best player wide open in the corner where he's made thousands of shots in his lifetime, mm-hmm. and he just missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and the thing just, is. He, I'm sorry to keep sounding like a, a broken record here, but when you miss the layup, like made baskets are how you set up the press. Like that's what St. John yeah. wants. They want yeah. the team inbounding it. So when you're missing layups and teams can, can scramble out or you're missing free throws and they can get long rebounds, or, or it's much easier to break a, a press from a live ball situation. Mm-hmm. But when you force the team to inbound it, 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 it can become very problematic. But the, but the missed free throws and the missed layups are just missed opportunities and all that stuff just added up. This, this season... It was a perfect – everything that could go wrong with a team that plays that up-tempo style went wrong for them this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to say one more thing about the, the future, and then we'll get into to the uh, giving out some awards here. If they do move on from Anderson at the end of next season, let's say – I don't see that happening. I honestly, I was going to say, I'm not totally convinced after seeing what Craig was saying today. I'm not totally convinced that they're going to, to be honest. Yeah, I, they, they, they would need a Georgetown-esque season. Really? To, I think to move on from him next year. Like something similar to that, like where they would win 
two or three conference games. I'm starting to think he's going to get two years now. I am. But yeah, but if they do, what Kevin and I just said in the last thirty seconds. <laughs> no 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 I I because from what I saw with Craig today I, I uh, yeah that kind of changed my opinion. But if they do move on from him at the end of the next season, let's say they they win, like I said, six seven games and that's it. I'm just not totally confident that this school knows how to attract a, a head coach that's going to work here. And I'm not confident that even Craig or anyone that would be in the hiring process is going to make the right hire. Because we've seen, I mean, look at their last two coaching searches. They've had a, a disaster in 2019 and the Mullen coaching search in 2015. I mean, those were two absolutely, you know, joke coaching searches. I'm just well, not just- confident in them being able to replace Anderson. That's the problem. <laughs> The, the one thing I guess I never realized until a couple of days ago when um, the whole Willard thing to Maryland went down, I never realized that in the same, or I never put the piece together, the same coaching cycle. Willard went to Seton Hall, Lavin went to St. John's, and Mike Rice went to Rutgers. Rutgers yep. I never put all those pieces together until um, a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of, I mean, of course, the, the two, until recently, Rutgers has gotten good, but the, the two, I mean, Lavin wasn't a wasn't bad. I mean, the end of the tenure wasn't great, but like, obviously, I think you would have rather had Willard. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like it, and you know, missing out on on Hurley, of course, and you know, you just go through the years. It just seems like every single chance they've had to hire the right coach, they haven't hired the right coach. And I just like so I'm going into next season. You know, everyone wants Patino. I want Patino, of course, but it's I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that they're ever going to do that. So that's but that. Also. I, I know why you want Patino, but like, how many years does he have left? Yeah, but I like still three or four years left. I still like, think obviously you want a Hall of Fame yeah. sidelines, but like, I mean, at, at a certain point, he's gonna hang him up too. I still think if there was any chance at, at Patino, I would take it. Just just for even if it is for three years, like yeah. the 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 take the money you would make off of that, and I think it would be worth a shot to be honest with you. But I don't I don't see it happening anytime soon. I don't I don't see them doing that anytime soon. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's do um, let's do MVP. Who's your season MVP? Kev, I'll start with you. Uh, if we had to pick someone, I guess who's the MVP from this season? Well, well my, my per- everyone knows everyone knows who my personal MVP is. Nyweek. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, that's Nyweek. But um, <laughs> no, I, I, like so that that's just my personal one. Cause I think Nyweek's my king. But um, <laughs> but no, an actual MVP. I, I'll go Wheeler. Um, I mean, he was really good in conference play. Um, I know he, 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 it took him a, a while to get adjusted to the system in non-conference play. And had he been playing at the level he did in January and February like he did in November, may, are we looking at a different season? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe the metrics are better because they blow teams out. Um, but I, I, I'll go Wheeler, but I, you can make a, a – a, Julian was the team's best player. Yeah, I'll, I'll just go Wheeler. I, I don't know why. I feel like Brennan's going to go Julian, so that's why I went Wheeler. <laughs> go ahead, Brennan. Yeah, I straight up sat on the fence on this one. I gave out yeah, two that's, MVP that's what I'm awards. Doing here too. I, I said non-conference was Julian. Conference was was Wheeler. Um, you look at some of those games. 
some of them, co- uh, particularly in the conference, could have got really ugly if Aaron Wheeler uh, didn't single-handedly go off. The Villanova game at home yeah. uh, sticks out in mind, even though they ended up losing that game. He, he almost single-handedly willed them back, and we just saw a completely different version of him. It's almost like uh, uh, Julian carried them through the non-conference, and, and then Aaron Wheeler stepped in and kind of took his place. But unfortunately, I think Wheeler and Champagny, in a way... They, they like to occupy the same the same spaces on the floor. They both yeah. like to score at all three levels, take you know, with adding in some different threes. I'm not entirely they're both uh, they both like to dribble and have the ball in their hands, so I'm not sure if their games were ever going to completely coexist together. Kevin's making faces at me, I'm not sure if he disagrees. <laughs> um, but we never really saw them click together. Um, but yeah, I'm going to sit on the fence and say Julian, non-conference MVP, Wheeler conference MVP. Yeah, I would probably go with Julian, but I want to I want to have a little bit of a discussion about his season. I mean, just felt so inconsistent all season long. Felt like, you know, he, he just never put together that three or four game stretch where he was really, um, you know, himself from the, the season before, I would say. Um, I mean, how would you guys rate his season? Is it a, is it a dis- I would still say it was a disappointing season from him, even if he was the team's MVP. Yeah, I, I think the, the game against Villanova kind of perfectly summarizes it. I mean, w- was he the best player on the floor for St. John's? Yes. But then, like, you also you look at that last play, and then also you look at, like, his numbers, one of six from three, which that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, but he ends up with 23 points, nine rebounds, three assists, a block, and four steals. Mm-hmm. Like, it was one of those where it was like you couldn't take him off the floor, um, but then that big moment came, and he couldn't deliver that final knockout punch to send you to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And with him too, I just uh, I feel like it, there was too many games where you know look at his stats against what DePaul, Butler, and Georgetown, and he dominated those three. And the other eight teams in the conference, he averaged like twelve, thirteen points a game. It was just it was just beating up on the the little teams in the conference. And then when the bullies came along, he really wasn't able to do it. Brennan, your thoughts? Yeah, I thought you know particularly uh, Alex O'Connell of Creighton really struggled uh, or. Uh, really made Julian struggle. He did not like dealing with Mm -hmm. O'Connell's length. Um, And, you know, when you're the primary option, teams had a year of film or a season of film to watch on Champagny and kind of game plan for him, which always makes things more difficult. I do think that there was an element of kind of, if you remember, Shamori Pond's kind of upperclassman year um, where there would be no semblance of an offensive system and then with you know five seconds left on the shot <laughs> clock they'd say here's the ball julian yeah try and try and try and bail us out here and and you know that's not i'm not a basketball expert but not not the best offensive system to run so there was certainly an element of that um i always thought julian was better when he saw and most shooters are like this when he saw a couple go in uh, early mm-hmm. on in the game, so I, I was never really sure why they didn't try to get him isolated on the elbow or try and get him. He is a strangely good floater game through contact. It was very bizarre. Like when, when guys would pull up for charges, uh, Julian was very good about you know 
body control and banking it in uh, and then flexing over the defender, which was always great. But I, I, I just I, I always wondered why they didn't try to do more of that in the first five minutes of the game because he's a very rhythm player. And when he sees two of his first three or four shots go in, he seemed to be a much different player. Obviously, that's much easier said than done when you're talking about teams with great wing players like Kaluma from Creighton as well gave him some props. So it's just... It, it, it was bizarre. I thought the coaching staff could have done a little bit more yeah. to try and, and mm-hmm. maximize his game instead of just, you know, tossing him the ball, you know, completely isolated with, you know, eight seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. I mean, you look at, at how he started some of these games, and like you mentioned, when he when he hit a couple shots in a row, you could see that he, he could get out the confidence and got kind of hot. It just felt like they never were drawing up plays for him you know, to get him open, to get him an open shot, um, or they weren't doing that consistently enough for a guy, like you mentioned, that was so reliant on seeing the ball go in a couple of times. It just feels like it was way too difficult for him to get good shots early in games, and that's why I think we saw a lot of uh, of um, bad games from him. It, it is interesting, though, and I want to bring it up, of course. Uh, it's now March 23rd, and we're recording this. He hasn't said anything about the NBA draft yet. Is there any chance in the world that he's back next season? Uh, I, I personally, I don't think so, but I would love to get your guys' thoughts on it. Logically, no, but uh, I, I ran through through my theory with you guys. I think I think this was right after they lost to Villanova. Actually, mm-hmm. um, my theory is that Justin. I'm going to get roasted for saying this, by the way. <laughs> uh, Justin, his brother, obviously uh, is on two way contract with the Raptors. Uh, I'm not sure after I'm not sure what Julian's draft status would be at this moment, but the uh, I would think that Justin could possibly, maybe, theoretically, be in his ear saying, "Listen, man, the two-way life's not exactly the best life. Uh, run it back for one more year. He has the NIL deal, uh, you know, so he can he can make some money and." Run it back for one more year. Try to see if you can play yourself back into a to a draft spot. So that's my conspiracy theory. Roast me if you will. I think it's pretty airtight. I mean, the the Brendan makes it sound logical, but like I don't I don't think he comes back. But oh, it's like, not going to happen at all. I, I, just, <laughs> yeah. I just ran through. But like you said, like the fact that it is now almost the end of March, and we're we're seeing people who have been eliminated from the NCAA tournament already announced that they're declaring for the draft and he hasn't yet. I do think there's something to say for that. Maybe he's thinking about it. I mean, his his stock certainly didn't improve no. this year, I don't think. Um, did it go down? I don't know. Um, I think he's probably a second-round pick. And, like, I don't mean to, like, rag on him or anything. I'm just saying the truth. because yeah. I mean, he's an outstanding kid and, and, and a really great um, ambassador, not just for the basketball program, but the university at, in, in general. I mean, just getting to know him. Um, I mean, he's su- such a personable guy. He's just a really, really nice kid. Um, and he likes again, your I, tweets I, on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I think right now, I think there was a mock draft that came out a couple days ago, and um, he was in the, the, the 50s, which, I mean, so he's, he's a borderline second-round pick right now, according to that, and I think that was ESPN. Um, which and I think he would have been the same last year too. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I think he, he does go. But Brendan, just to, to your point, when you said about after the Villanova game, I mean, I've never seen yeah. any St. John's player that emotional in my life. Um, I mean, he could. I think there was only one question asked to him 
Um, and it, I mean, he—you you could just see it in his eyes. He was crying at the at the table. I mean, he was he was a wreck. And I don't know if that was just—I don't know if that was like he knew this was the end, or um, I mean, just this team had had this was their shot to get in, and and they lost, or um, the, the the plays at the end where he misses the three, and then. Um, the wheeler blocks the shot. He gets the strip, and then he fouls Slater. So, like, I don't know what he was so emotional about, or it was just everything combined all into one. Um, but he was an absolute wreck after that game. So, it, but I mean, Troy, I guess you'll have this out either tonight or tomorrow. Uh, so, I guess it'll be either be March twenty third or twenty fourth, and he hasn't declared yet. And the season's been over for what? What I say about two weeks, two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. So, th- I think there's something definitely to say to say to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, now, now that we brought this up, by the way, he's absolutely going to declare like, like you know, Thursday or Friday oh, of this week. So, so 100%. I mean, Troy. So, say, say you get this out at ten a.m. tomorrow. By nine forty-five, he's got to. Yeah. Like, that, that's just how it goes. Yeah, and then people will be able to skip through this whole thing. Um, they were skipping through the whole thing anyway. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we're gonna all agree on who is the most surprising player. Um, we can all agree that was Aaron Wheeler. I would say correct in terms of the season, or, or do you guys have someone different? Can I say no? Oh, I, go ahead. I, yeah, no. Yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. I, I, I kind of want to say no too. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, I had. I had absurdly high expectations for Wheeler. You heard all all the buzz yeah, okay. about him right. uh, about him during the summer, about how he was going to be a perfect fit for Anderson's system. He's a crazy good athlete, and and it didn't necessarily work out for him in the first part in the non conference, as, as we alluded to uh, tonight and, and during the regular season. But it really came together for him, and you saw what makes him such a talented player. Um, for me, the most surprising player, actually, going to go with Pinzone because okay. uh, you obviously heard how good he was. That's not necessarily a surprise, but you're just never sure how how a freshman is going to translate, especially uh, his first big minutes were on the road at Indiana. Yeah. And he came in, knocked down a couple big shots to shame what ultimately happened, that he was sidelined for so long. Um, so he's actually going to be my most surprising and most disappointing in the, <laughs> in the same breath because we didn't get to see him play, but, you know, glad he's doing okay and was able to, to play at the end of the season. But I'm really excited for him and, and to, to continue to watch him play and and i hope you know hope no transfers or, or anything like that because i think i think at the height of, of of the season when they they were starting to skid i think there were a lot of, of worries that guys of his uh caliber and echelon were going to be transferring out but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll ultimately see what happens hope that's not the case mm-hmm. yeah Pinzone, Pinzone, i knew he was really good coming into the year um and like i just was left wanting to see more because and I think it's not talked about enough how much his absence hurt them in the middle of the year, um, mm. because that's when Posh was was banged up and you didn't have another point guard. He was your backup point guard, um, and and you were basically left without a point guard. Um, but I, I agree with you on on Pinzone. But I'm going to go with the other freshman. I'm going to go with Stanley. I didn't think the two freshman forwards um, and Dresa and Omar were going to play much. Obviously, Dresa redshirted, um, but when Omar played and it was a limited minutes like I was really impressed with him I think he's gonna if he if he sticks around for all four years I think he's really gonna be a good Big East player I agree uh, I mean yeah. he has the he's only gonna get bigger he's only gonna get stronger he's now he's been through a, a season of the rigors of the Big East um, I think he's a really good player man I think he has the chance to be really good I mean he's active around the basket he's shown he can um, step outside the paint and knock down a jumper um, if he just gets a little more physical which um 
seeing him and, and knowing his body type, he's going to. Um, when he sticks his nose inside the paint and, and battles for rebounds, I think he's got a chance to be a really good player. And he runs the floor super well, which, yes. is, yeah. which is incredibly important. You didn't you didn't really see him uh, get super tired a lot. I know he played in limited minutes, and as he gets better, uh, the the load is only going to increase. But um, I, I thought he he handled the the conditioning and, and how difficult it is to play as a, as a center in this system uh, very well for a freshman. So mm-hmm. I'm and definitely yeah, with Kevin on that. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got to shoot free throws better. I think he was under thirty percent from the line. And, I should say that about yeah, the whole team roster. does. And, like he, he didn't he didn't. Have that many chances, but um, and again, like you look at who knows what they're going to bring transfer wise in, but like you look at the the recruits they have coming in right now for next year, like they're both guards. Mm-hmm. So like I, I feel like the coaching staff is at least somewhat comfortable with the forwards they have. And I mean, in Soriano does Wheeler come back? Uh, Stanley um, Teresa is is ready is eligible next year. So um, Nywe, I feel like. They're comfortable with that forward tandem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's move on to the most disappointing player now. Um, I think you could pick a couple here. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit off, and I'm going to say Posh, but just from three-point range. <laughs> I think Posh's three-point shooting disappointed me so much because on this show, like in the start of the season, I hit so many times how you just need to see, to see Posh go up to like a mid-30s three-point shooter or even low-30s three-point shooter, and his game would have been so complete, I felt like, at that point, and he would have been so perfect for the system. Instead, he goes down to, what, the 20s, and he hit, I think, one or two threes uh, in the final two months of the season. I think he hit the, the, the half-court one against Butler and then the one against that, Villanova were the only that's two. That's a pretty cool three that he hit, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like that was just so disappointing to me because I, I was so big on that 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 was just the one thing that I wanted to see him improve on. Um, you know, the rest of his game was great. He was obviously tailor made for this system, but it just it, it handicapped them so many times this season when teams were just packing it in because they knew Posh could not shoot. Um, that was really the biggest disappointment for me. And that's one thing I kept asking about, like in the preseason at those media days and everything. I kept asking about Posh's three-point shooting. And, I mean, like everyone assured me, like, hey, he's going to improve. He was working on it all summer. And it it just really never came to fruition. I I agree with you on that. Um, But, yeah, I just kept asking. I was like, is is he a better shooter? And everyone says he has the ability. Mm -hmm. The ball doesn't go through the hoop. hoop. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) um, I'm going to go with Steph Smith. Um, I, I had really high hopes for him. I, yeah. Again, we saw him those couple times at Vermont, and when Vermont played in those big games and against those power conference teams, he always played well. I mean, like I remember when he first committed, I was going back and and looking at some stats and watching some of those games, like against St. John's, against Virginia, against Kansas. Like he played well in all those games, um, but I, I just don't think his style of play and getting up and down really was a fit for this system. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you would have liked to see him be a, a, a better three-point shooter. Um, and then when he did start to get hot, he, he got a quick yank. Yep. Um, the only time he didn't get that quick pull was against Villanova in the, in the, in the tournament. Um, and it looked like he had the game-winning shot, the mm-hmm. game-winning N1. Um, it didn't turn out that way, but um, yeah, I just wish he, he could have played a little bit better this year. So I would go with him. Mm-hmm. And Brennan, let's hear yours. I'm not going to phrase this as most disappointing. Uh, I don't want to hammer on the kids, as you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, 
but uh, I, I think what I'd like to see for next year on a player who I think you know will have a big impact, I'd like to see uh, Dylan Adewusu's decision making get a little bit better. You can clear, you can clearly see that that Anderson and the coaching staff value him as a as a secondary or even at times primary ball handler, <laughs> and and I think Wusu Adewusu does a lot of good things on the court, and and there's value in there, and you can see why they they want him. On the court, a good defender, loves to take a charge. Um, and, and, you know, is, is a streaky shooter that can really help you out in certain games. I'd just like to see him, uh, you know, we talked about, I think it was Kevin mentioned earlier, that, that, that they played too fast for their own good at times. And I think Wusu was one of the main culprits. You saw a lot of out-of-control floaters on fast breaks or erratic passes. So I would just like to see him, because I think he has the capability of it. And, and when it comes to decision-making, that theoretically would would only get better as his experience comes in and he's got two years of, of getting heavy minutes now under his belt so i would like to see him emerge you know because pinzone's also only going to get better mm-hmm. uh as he gets healthier also and presumably having posh back so having two other ball handlers i think adewusu could be a major major x factor next year if he can be a third ball handler take guys off the dribble make good reads you know maybe throw a couple alley-oops a game to soriano or stanley um depending on the, the lineup. But if he can anchor the second unit coming off the bench, that would be a major, major plus for this team next mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. I agree. A couple other uh, guys that, again, I don't want to rip on the guys, but a little disappointing for me. Uh, Montez Mathis, I thought, because he really showed something in certain points this season where you thought he was going to be like a legitimate starter for you. And I honestly, Tariq Coburn as well, at points in non-conference, that game against St. Peter's, for example, uh, the Xavier home game, like he had moments when he was a really solid three-point shooter. I, I, you know, obviously the, the kid is, you know, off the court is doing incredible things. I don't want to rip on him too much, but both of those guys felt like they... They had moments where they really looked like they could be big contributors, but you just didn't see it consistently at all from either one of those two. Definitely about the consistency, but with Coburn in particular, can you can you make an argument that part of that was the way he was used? No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because again, how many times did we see him You know, hit two or three shots in a row? sit on the bench for 10 minutes. It, you know, it happened over and over again. So, yeah, that goes back to the coaching, I would say, correct? Yeah, not that, not that he was the world's greatest defender, but no. I wouldn't say he was a liability on offense, mm-hmm. or on defense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Coburn will probably go... I mean, it was just... The, the way he was using the... Ro- he was out of the rotation yeah. for, for a couple games. It was just very bizarre because... You know, every time he came in, he seemed to contribute something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. And, and you wonder if that lack of consistency with the minutes was affecting the consistency of his shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's skip ahead a little bit. Let's do. We just talked a lot about the roster. We just talked about um, you know surprising and disappointing players. I want to hear from you guys what if any movement we see, what if any roster movement we see in the next couple of weeks. I think it was right around this time, maybe a little bit later uh, in the last offseason when the roster really blew up and when we saw Greg Williams, Marcellus Erlington, um, and Josh Roberts all transfer. This year, do you guys, I mean, I don't see anything like that happening, but do you see most of this team coming back or do you see maybe a couple of guys who could be candidates to move? I see most of them coming back. Obviously, Champagny is yeah. yeah. the, the big exception, even the, even with my theory that I just laid out a little <laughs> while ago. Uh, I think most of them will be back. Um, I th- I'd like to think 
that if if Posh was gonna leave, you would have heard something by now, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, but 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 Kev, Kevin's the expert here. I'll, I'll let Kevin go in, in depth here. No, I I think everyone will be back except for your two seniors in Smith and Coburn and Champagny. Um, that's just what I think now. Um, no one's told me that officially. I think Wheeler's a big question mark, just like, what is he going to do? Like, I don't think right now he has an NBA future. No. Like, if, if, he, if he declared for the draft, like, I don't think he's more than, than a G League or uh, European player, which is fine. Like, that's still playing professionally. Um, yeah. And also, he's like, at that age, like, all right, what are you going to do? Do you still want to be in school for another year? Um, so I think he's your biggest question mark. Um, but, like, again, I think maybe Mathis leaves. Um, but I, 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 I was talking to a couple people, and they don't think, like what you said, Troy, like they don't think any big wholesale changes are coming. And if wholesale changes do come and you lose a couple of key players, I think then you have to have another conversation about um, maybe last year and, and the stuff yep. that started to come out weren't um, just a one-off or someone trying to catch a couple of headlines. Maybe mm-hmm. there's um, something real to that stuff. So um, I think I don't know if everyone's still waiting with bated breath on um, what's going to happen in terms of who leaves this roster outside of the two seniors and, and Julian. Um, but if it does, then I think another conversation needs to be had. And I think that, you know, within internally within the athletic department, if there were rumblings of this guy's going to go, that guy's going to go, the roster's going to implode again, I don't think it would have been as easy a decision to bring Anderson back. Like, I don't think Craig would have stand, stood so firmly behind Anderson if he knew six guys are going to transfer from this team again. Like, I think that that is why he stood so far, so um, much behind him, because he knew we're getting our team back, this roster's not going to blow up. I, I just, that's a thought that I had, I would say. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I, I, oh, sorry, Kev. I, no, I was just going to say, like, I've been on campus a couple times since the season has ended. Um, I think it might have even been like that next day or day after uh, they lost to Villanova. And, like, I saw a handful of, I saw uh, Posh and Dylan and mm-hmm. uh, Soriano and Naiwi. So, like, I, I guess that was, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Like, because, I mean, la- last year, um, before the, the press release even came out that they were declining um, an NIT invite because of COVID, like, half the team was on vacation already. So, like, I guess that's a good sign that, like, they're, they're sticking around. Um, but, again, like, the, I, I wouldn't read that much into it, but I also wouldn't just dismiss it like, oh, that means nothing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brendan, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say that I think, uh, you know, obviously it seemed that that they took the, the Steve DeMeo lawsuit seriously uh, or, or just denied it seriously. And, uh, and I think nobody really batted an eye to the three guys or, or Williams, Arlington, and Roberts leaving because those weren't Anderson's recruit. Uh, they stayed around, gave it a shot with Anderson, and then ultimately uh, went their separate ways and, and they went to programs where they all seemed to get more minutes than they did at St. John's uh, this year. So... <laughs> So, you know, it's just different uh, different recruits. But now if you start to see Anderson's own recruits transferring out, yeah, that, that, That's then it would obviously be a much bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Also, just at one point, one point on that, like when Rasheem Dunn just got up and left from, was it Robert Morris? Mm-hmm. Like he was at like three or four different St. John's games. So like <laughs> the, 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 the narrative of it, like he lost the locker room and like the players hated him, like 
All right, so I don't know if that went past like Rasheem Dunn. You know what I mean? Like why? Like if, if he hated Anderson and hated playing for him, it's like why would he have he come back for for four or five other games? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's in the past too, but also the way they finished the season last year, yeah, uh, yeah. would not would not suggest a team that gave up on their coach. I mean, yeah, it was just I mean, a, it was just a little bit bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what were they one and six? They could have easily, yeah. like, given everything <laughs> that went on last year, they could have easily said one, two, three, Cancun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Kev, you're the uh, you're the expert on this type of stuff. We were talking about it earlier today. Uh, how many? What do they have? Three scholarships as it stands right now. If if all, how would that work? Yeah, if, if everybody comes back except Julian, mm-hmm. I, I think they would have three open scholarship slots. So we would assume they're going into the portal for those three, you know, to try to build this roster back. Um, where do you guys want to see them go? What, what areas do you want to see them hit to build on this roster for next season to make sure that it's not such a disappointment? I, I think the, the obvious way is a shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you'd also want to try and get another big. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't know how much Dries is going to play next year. Um, just because, I mean, you had a red shirt in this year. Is he going to be ready to step in and, and give you solid minutes next year? I, I don't know. Um, but I, I think if you can grab another rebounder and a shooter or two, um, I think you're fine. Um, obviously, everyone knows what the, the big name that is floating out there, rumored to be eventually entering the transport portal, and that's Corbello. Uh, and, and we've talked about this. I mean, yeah, he's a good player. He, he's, he fits this system in, in terms of running with running with your head cut off and, and running up and down the court. But like his shooting numbers, yikes! Like I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know. If, I don't know if you want to add those three point that those three point percentages to this backcourt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Brennan. Yeah, I alluded to it to it a little bit earlier, and and I don't have specific names to back it up yet. But I think with the strength of the Big East Conference right now on the wings, I think that's where we have to bolster. We need more versatility, guys that can guard multiple positions out there. I mean, you just you just go down uh, on the list. You look at like Andre Jackson and his ability to to run an offense for UConn. Not that he's the greatest shooter, uh, but you know they had Tyrese Martin also. Then you go to Creighton, you have Arthur Kaluma as a freshman. He's going to be around for for a long time. Uh, Lewis at at Marquette, like. The, yeah. There's great wings in this conference, and, and I'm not sure right now, uh, given this roster construction, that we have defensive stoppers uh, kind of in those swing three and four positions, and, and even like a big shooting guard we don't have either. They can they can lock up, and I think that, that versatility and ability to switch and pick up different positions is super important in, in a pressing system where you can often be exposed on the back end, or maybe you're not guarding who you're supposed to be in, in transition when things get shuffled around. <laughs> this, is, this is a conversation for another day but like Villanova is going to be preseason number one in the conference next year but like Creighton's got to be number two yeah mm-hmm. like yeah. <laughs> how good they were this year they are going to be incredible next year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, off the top of your head do you, is Hawkins back or not Hawkins is done I, I thought he might have one more year left. Yeah, I thought so, too. I'm not positive. Well, um, with the COVID year, I'm never sure with, yeah. with, uh, <laughs> and, with eligibility yeah, and, well, well, does, does COVID D2, does D, did D2 players get COVID a COVID year, too? I, don't, I would I'm think not, so. That's what I don't know. Yeah, I would think yeah, so. so. So I don't know. I don't know. But, like, even even without him, I mean, 
your big three. No, oh, definitely. Yeah. Luma and Kalkbrenner. Like, Creighton's going to be really good next year. I think they lose O'Connell, definitely. But, like, Creighton's going to be outstanding next year, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's another example of sometimes it doesn't take three, four years to rebuild a program. Sometimes you can reload. You know, look at Creighton. They were in the Sweet 16 last year. And, going, and Creighton was supposed to have Ty Ty Washington this year. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the even more bizarre part. Like, mm-hmm. Creighton was supposed to have Ty Ty this year. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. My God, Creighton's going to be good next year. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's just another uh, part of it. The expectations for next year, though, uh, for you guys. I mean, we, we've kind of thrown some stuff out there. Um, you know, it's tough asking a year in advance for this stuff, but... What what do we see next season? I mean, I think we all would say it has. It's kind of a make or break NCAA tournament year. But where do you guys see it actually going? You want to go, Kevin? You want me to go? I'll, I'll take it. So, like, yeah. What? So, what do I think has to happen? I think two things. I think they they got to make Friday night. That's number one. Like mm-hmm. you have to. And yeah. And if you if if you make Friday night, there's a good chance I think you're in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think those two kind of go hand in hand. Um, so I, I think that has to be the expectation. That has to be not, not a requirement per se, but you, you got to be close. Um, but I, I'm going to need to see what happens with their roster. Do, could they have the talent to get there? Yes. But right now, I, I given what I saw this year, I can't see them um, as anything more right now than an NIT team. I'd have to see how the roster shakes out, who they add, um, who leaves, who goes. And also, I think one thing that we haven't talked about yet that uh, or specifically mentioned him by name yet is, is A.J. Stewart. That's kind of like your prized high school recruit coming in this year. Like, OK, what's he going to be as a freshman? Like, ball's not going to be in his hands a lot, you think. Mm-hmm. Can he be a knockdown shooter? Can he be that knockdown shooter that we were talking about going out and getting the transfer portal? Like, can it be him? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a big question. And um, if they're able to find that knockdown shooter and everyone's able to elevate their game just a bit, I, I think they can make the NCAA tournament. Um, and certainly um, everyone inside, inside that program knows that they really need to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Brennan. Yeah, it's a good point about a uh, store like that. Uh, I, I can't help but draw parallels to Jordan Hawkins up at UConn who came in as a big recruit uh, but didn't necessarily get a ton of minutes his freshman year but came in, I know he got hurt at the end of the year, but came in knocked down some big shots. Uh, so so we'll see if Storr can do that for St. John's. But Kevin obviously talked about the tournament expectations. I think the, the good year, the good favor that Anderson had built in overachieving years one and two has, has gone by the wayside now after the way year three went. So I think, you know, maybe it's... It'll be unfair, but there will be NCAA tournament expectations. Um, but on a more micro level, and I think I still think St. John's will will be better than the bottom teams in the conference just based on roster alone. So I, I mean, on a micro level, you have to mix it up with the teams at the top. You can't go over yeah. against the top of the conference anymore. I mean, that's the big step. Nobody's expecting you to sweep Villanova, sweep Creighton, sweep Providence. That's not the expectation. But you can't lose all those games, and you certainly can't. Find ways to lose those games when you're up late or have a lead or you're right there and then all of a sudden, boom, double-digit lead before you... Like, that has to stop. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's on the coaching. Keeping keeping leads is on coaching. You have to, to draw up plays or, or find the rotations that... you. The, the blowing leads it drives me insane has to stop because that that to me is on coaching I don't necessarily blame the players for that because like I said they're college kids uh, some of them don't necessarily have a ton of experience so they're going to panic they're going to get tight 
so it's on the coach to, to make basketball easy for them and that's what you want to see and you know maybe when you're up uh, 10 you know on the road at Creighton or probably wherever you might be don't continue to sprint up and down the floor because you're only going to leave yourself exposed on the back end for layups you're going to give up a lot of easy points so the half court sets I think need to be developed to a point where where you're able to better maintain leads I mean how many games this year did they throw away guys yeah. mm-hmm. look at the last one yeah <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't recall how that one ended yeah. <laughs> I the, the worst part is everyone knew it was coming Everyone knew, like, even without Posh getting into foul trouble, like, everyone knew, like, like, everyone knew Villanova was going to make a run at some point, and, like, you kind of expect that, but, like, no one knew that they were going to easily cruise to the finish line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and, and if if they win that game, not only is St. John's season changed, but is Villanova's season changed? Like, Villanova's now in the Sweet 16 as as a two-seed, or were they, I think they were two. They were two, Like, like... There's so many things that could have changed throughout this college basketball season if they win that game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's so important for this team because right now they're so they, this year and Kevin, you just talking. They're so reliant on Posh, and it's partly because he, he's an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable talent, and the way he controls the tempo of a game and, and knows when to push. And, and and I think he realizes when things need to be slowed down. The development of a secondary ball handler needs to be needs to be priority. And I think, as I mentioned before, I think that person is on that roster. It could be Pinzone or it could be Ade Wusu, but one of them needs to step up. So when Posh gets in foul trouble or you know Posh plays a, a reckless hurt, game, yeah. you know. He's he's gonna get banged up. He's you know maybe he won't even miss game games, but he's gonna you know need to to get ice on the ankle during a game. Like that's almost <laughs> a given at this point. So so one of those guys is gonna need to step up, run the offense, and and control the tempo because the tempo with St. John's is so important. It is their lifeline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boys, can't thank you both enough for doing this. It's been a really fun uh, fun hour that we just had talking talking about this season. Uh, I don't think we were as negative as we could have been, to be honest with you. I thought that we we had some positivity in there, which I'm happy about. Um, no, we didn't pour it on. We we looked at solutions and how things could get better for next year. Yeah, yeah, because at a certain point, it comes down to it. Like you, you can't like the season's two and a half weeks old. Like you, you got to turn the page. Like mm-hmm. it's over. It happened with like the coach isn't leaving, the AD isn't leaving, the water yeah. boy isn't leaving. Like, <laughs> you you, you got to you got to man up with it and see what they're going to do to fix things. See what they're going to do to make things better. And, and then reserve your judgments um, for this time next year. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, you guys know this. I, I've been certainly ragging on Anderson a lot this season for sure. But, yeah, I mean, you got to go into next season with an open mind. You know, I mean, I'm not confident that it's going to go well by any means. But it, it's like you said, it serves no one to go in, you know, and, and continue to complain about last season, let that carry over into next season now. Got to go in with an open mind, see what happens, right? <laughs> we'll certainly see what happens. <laughs> We certainly will. It's, 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 it's amazing just the turnaround. Troy, I remember what we the, the the big news dropped that he was coming back on July 4th. Oh, my goodness. I think we talked on like July 5th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then basically what we are not even, what, 10 months later? Yeah. Nine yeah. months later. Mm-hmm. We were talking Sweet 16 back then, I think. <laughs> Oh I mean, here's f- fitting how this is how the the the, the pod series ends for the year the, on the weekend of the sweet 16. exactly exactly with us with us home for two weeks <laughs> kev <laughs> brendan thank you guys so much man it's a lot of fun we'll do it again next year for sure and uh 
Yeah, well, we're about happy talking, having you guys on again. Talking about that uh, championship team. Next yes. Year. <laughs> yes. This, this year we'll, we'll do we'll do we got to do two together next year. One this time next year talking about St. John's and the Sweet Sixteen, and then the the post uh, the post re- season recap pod. Yes, exactly. We'll yeah. have to, yeah because we'll we'll be playing at this time next year, boys. Our, our f- when we make it to Friday night of the Big East tournament, we'll, we'll do, do a, a pod spectacular. <laughs> live pod. Live a celebration. Pod at, live pod at the garden. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. All right. Thank you one more time to Brendan Myers and Kevin Connolly for coming on and breaking down the Red Storm's disappointing season. Uh, really, I feel like we hit on almost everything that there was to hit on from last season. Uh, I feel like we were not too negative, which I'm happy about. Like I said, doesn't really help at this point to dwell on the disappointment of last season. Uh, at this point now, it's about looking forward. It's about seeing you know, what's going to happen for this following season to make it not a disappointing season. Uh, I do think that it's going to end up being really a make-or-break year for Anderson. You know, what, as, fair as, that may, as unfair as that may be with the roster he's going to have, uh, he's kind of dug himself that hole now, kind of, where I, I think it is a make-or-break year for him, so we will see. Certainly doesn't feel like he's on the hot seat with what you hear the AD saying, what the school is saying, but uh, we will see about that. But that wraps up tonight's show. Next week or the week after that, I will have Zach Brazilder on, so definitely check that out. And we will talk about the offseason and what St. John's uh, can do going forward. We'll get Zach's thoughts on Mike Anderson, Mike Craig, the athletic department as a whole. I'm really curious to hear all of Zach's thoughts on that. So that'll be the next week or the week after that. But for now, that wraps up this show. And as always, let's go Johnnies.